How many of you have read the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck? So quite a few. What's the first line of the book? Does anybody remember first line? My, what? Yep, life is difficult. That's the first line of that book, life is difficult. My father always uh, kind of accentuated that, raising eight boys, trying to feed and educate and ensure and make sure we got to heaven, basically. So a lot of pressure there. So I think that's very part and parcel of what our readings are today. When we get to the second reading, the title of the homily would be Divine Discipline. Divine Discipline. Here's the deal. If we don't have discipline, we will never be happy. We need to be disciplined people. We need to be going after it, going after the Lord. But someone, it says in the gospel today, someone comes up and says to the Lord, Lord, will few be saved? And so Jesus responds to that by, the first question is, is what we have in our own minds and hearts, we've talked about probably many times in our lives have thought about this, is heaven and hell, salvation and damnation, who's going to be in? And who's going to be out? So these come to the floor for us. The first thing I'd like to say about that is that heaven and hell, someone's there because they've chosen that. It's not so much that Jesus sends somebody there. It's what we've chosen. And so if we've chosen, like today, to be unforgiving towards someone, God's going to grant that to us. We have freedom. God is love, and we move around his love because we're free and we're free to, to say yes or no to that. I am constantly in need of his invitation to love and to grow and to get better in that. I know that it'd be very silly for me, very silly to be a priest if I didn't think there was a choice for me, for you, for us. That we have a choice, and it's an eternal choice, what we choose and what we go after. So people ask Jesus, so will many be saved, or will few be saved? And what does Jesus say? The narrow gate, enter through the narrow gate. So what does that mean, the, the narrow gate? Does it mean like there's only gonna be 10 people in heaven? There's only gonna be 100 people in heaven, the, the good ones that do everything right and cross their T's and dot their I's? I don't think so. The narrow gate, what Jesus is referring to, is our choice to live in a right way and to follow him now, and this choice is for everybody, to be able to follow him now and it's very demanding, and it's very uncomfortable. So if you don't want to be uncomfortable in some many ways and shapes and forms, don't come to church. Don't read the scriptures. I was just reading something the other day from Mother Teresa. She said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore a homeless man on Monday when we go out? So very, very uh, challenging, this demanding love to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, not to be the center of things, to be able to do what God is calling us to do in all these different ways. And then we read about this in the letter from the Hebrews. Whoever God loves, he disciplines, and every son, he scourges. Oh, I want to sign up for that. Let's be a part of that group. I love getting beat up, and I love being disciplined. Yeah, that sounds great. It seems a cause of pain, but brings a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. I love that. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, when I spoke on fire last week, faith igniting righteous engagement, I knew righteous was going to be a rub. 
Because what do we take it? We take it pejoratively. We say, oh, righteous, the righteous are among me, and they're going to tell me you're inferior, you're not holy, you're not Catholic enough, you're not right enough, you're out, you're not in. That's not what righteousness means. Righteousness means the fullness of the life of God. And we're going to serve each other humbly and together to get there. We're going to stand under people so that we can understand them, so that they can come into the righteousness. That's the righteousness of God, and then we'll have peace. St. Vincent de Paul says we can either run from the cross and be disordered, or we can run to the cross and find peace. And that's what our, our faith is all about as we come here together. So, again, it's not that righteousness that I'm better than you, but let's work together in humility and a truth, humility and truth, you can't have one without the other, to come to this peaceful fruit of righteousness that God has for us. And that's exactly what he has for us. So, disciple, what does discipline and disciple mean? It means learner. I love it when somebody's in church and they got their pen out and they got their pencil and say, I'm going to, I'm ready. I'm going to write this down. It's going to be more than just verbiage to me. I'm going to write it down so I can learn it and it become much more part of my heart and soul as we experience the word of God and we come to Jesus and what he has for us. And so that's what disciple means. Cardinal George was my archbishop for a while. So he was the Cardinal of Chicago. He was only my archbishop for eight months up in Portland, Oregon, the Archdiocese of Portland, because he was on the fast track. They said, we got to get this guy in place. One of the great minds of the church. But he was talking about a fellow priest of mine, and he could have just as well been talking about me. He was kind of making some mistakes, not like major headline mistakes in the front page of the San Diego Tribune, but making mistakes. He goes, oh, that's all right. The people will teach him how to be a priest. You know I say that? Amen. <laughs> You, you teach me how to be a priest. And in your love and your care, you show me so much about God's love and uh, God's way in your faithfulness and your life with me and, and before me. So there's always that learning. Trials, life is difficult. Trials can, I put that in parentheses, can prostrate you. What does prostrate mean? It means to fall down before. And for us as Catholics, that refers to total adoration of God, coming before God. So when I'm ordained a priest, right before I'm ordained a priest, when Gary and I were ordained a priest on July 12, 1997, we came up the aisle and we prostrated ourselves before the bishop would be up there. We prostrated ourselves and we were down on the ground and then we sang so beautifully the litany of the saints, praying for these two that they would die that they would die to themselves and that they would live for Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. You go down and then you come up and then you come before the bishop. No words are said. He just puts his hands on your head. And we believe that we receive the, the sacrament of holy orders at that point as a priest. And we prostrate ourselves before the Lord so that he can fill us with his righteousness, with the fullness of his life. What happens in trials? You know, sometimes it might not be the best prayer, but I pray for me and other people I'm sitting with, and I pray that they'll have a trial. Why would I do that? Why would I pray that someone would have a trial? Because I really think it's in the trials that we get smacked upside the face, and we say, oh, I'm not the center of this, and I cannot do this. I am infinitely inadequate, and I need an infinite answer for my infinite inadequateness. 
I think that's the gift. And as I, I wrote about two weeks ago in the bulletin, in our perpetually run to your perpetual poverty. Perpetually run. And pray that we can stay there, that Christ can fill us from that vantage point, be lifting us up, knowing who we are before the Lord, and letting him come into our lives. Because that's where the power happens in that. And that's the gift for me of trials. That's the gift for me of the Catholic Church that we have a crucifix. It's not glossed over and it's not shiny and it's not an ornament. It's Jesus <laughs> bleeding out for us on the cross, giving us his body and his blood in the Eucharist. And that's what we're called to in those trials that we can learn from there. That Jesus isn't going to become one with me. I'm going to become one with him. We get that mixed up, brothers and sisters, don't we? Jesus, you just need to be one with me and get with the program. <laughs> and that's silliness. So we're invited to this day to think about our trials. And I encourage you, as moving forward today, say, what is this teaching me? Because that's the learning, and that's the learning of the peaceful fruit of the righteousness of God and what he has for us. And prepare yourselves, my daughters, my sons, to be disciplined, to be discipled, to learn that you're not the center. And Lord, have mercy each and every second of our lives. Come, Lord, I don't know this. I've never been here before. Be this for me now. I want to share with you a powerful story of Martin Luther King in his trial before his death. We know Martin Luther King fought in his faith for equality. And this is what he writes. One night at the end of January, I settled into bed late after a strenuous day. Coretta had already fallen asleep, and just as I was about to doze off, the telephone rang. An angry voice said, I'm not going to say the word, but you can imagine what the word is. It's like the most pejorative, ugly word almost in our human race. An angry voice said, listen, blank. We've been taking all we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I hung up, but I couldn't sleep. It seemed that all my fears had come down to me at once. I had reached a saturation point. I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I cannot face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine. 
as I have never experienced him before. Let us pray. Jesus, we pray, we come to you. We pray that in our trials that you can speak to us, that you can speak hope and life, that you can speak your eternity. We pray that we can come before you open our hearts to all that you have for us. Jesus, we pray for the gift to be at the end of our powers, to have nothing left, to have only you, to trust and depend on you, that you may disciple us, that you may teach us, that we may know your power as we have never known it before, that we will be your sons and daughters and that you will be our God. Wake us up. We are not the center of this world. In our infinite inadequacy, we need your infinite help. In our perpetual poverty, we perpetually run to you. And Jesus, we pray not for you to be one with us, but they that we may be one with you. Lord, come. Lord, have mercy.